Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020. Um, it's officially fall up here in New England, folks. Uh, I, in fact, I put on a coat earlier today when I went out to run my usual Saturday morning errands because it was down in the 50s. You having that sort of weather up your way, Dustin? Yeah, we're getting rain and, uh, you know, gorgeous uh, fall colors. I'm sorry. The trees up here with the the leaves falling, it just it, it brings a Halloween sense into the air with all the death. Um, but I, I love the idea that, you know. It's literally overnight. Mm -hmm. You'll go from, uh, you know, summer weather into all the trees are like, okay, well, it's time to go. And, you know, snow is just around the corner. Uh, But, yeah, it's definitely, I think, October kind of snuck up on us uh, up here in Canada. Pretty much did did the same thing here uh, down in New England. I I, I bring up the cooler fall weather, folks, because, well, the temperatures start to dip in Florida. That's typically when uh, the Walt Disney World Resort We'll begin shutting down its pair of, of, of water theme parks for uh, maintenance and refurbishment. Because uh, let's be honest, it's only idiots who live in New Hampshire or Canada who actually <laughs> think that, you know, oh, it's 50 out. Time to go swim in a Disney water theme park. And, of course, our, our friends from the U.K. We can't mm-hmm. leave out our friends from the U.K. We are all in the hot tub together. <laughs> there we go. The, the, our pasty brothers. Um, did I ever tell you the story about going to... To Typhoon Lagoon in December. No, but this sounds like something I would do as well. So please continue. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, this is December of, of 1991, and I remember it because my, my sister and I uh, drove down the Eastern Seaboard to go to Disney World. In fact, uh, I I remember it was 91 because. We'd stop at Burger Kings along the way and collect the Beauty and the Beast toys that, that were coming out. Um, anyway, so we get down to Walt Disney World, and Typhoon Lagoon uh, had been open for two years at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so we're just, you know, it's been a while since we've been, so we want to hit all of the stuff we haven't previously been to. Um, and so it's my sister and myself and uh, I think another family friend, a uh, and we're in Typhoon Lagoon. We, we drive to the park. And again, we, we park in the front row because there's nobody there. Uh, and we walk in. And I, I swear to God, Dustin, there are the three of us in the wave pool. And there are 12 lifeguards around the wave pool looking down at us. And they are all in huddled in. You know, they've got their hoodies and their bright red hoodies on and their, their sweatpants. And the thing is, the way the acoustics work. I could actually hear them yelling at each other across the pool to the effect of, all right, who's got the least seniority? Because if one of these idiots goes down, I'm not going in. It's someone from the college program for sure. Okay. And then the the worst part of this is, is I've gone into the pool wearing my glasses and, you know, then the wave comes up and, you know, pulls the glasses right off my head. And, to give you some idea of what can happen when there are only three people in the pool, uh, you know, I, I you know, immediately get out of the water, go to the left, God, I'm so sorry, I lost my glasses. Is there anything you can do? Fix the walkie-talkie and literally shuts down the wave pool. You know, just sort of, you know, because there's only three of us in there. Yeah. And then, again, you know, because, you know, that previous conversation that had happened over our heads, this one very angry <laughs> lifeguard. Gets out of his hoodie, gets out of his sweatpants, 
dives into the pool, swims back and forth once or twice, and and, and I think it, he'd been in the water maybe a minute, and he found my glasses <laughs> and swam over and was trying to be a good Disney employee, but at the same time, it was kind of through gritted teeth. It's like, here are your glasses, sir. You know, Maybe you want to be more careful with them because I really don't want to get back in this water. So, anyway, uh, again, I, I, I bring that up because, again, it, it just in years previous, uh, for example, uh, Blizzard Beach uh, closed on October 28th, 2018, and then reopened uh, January 5th of 2019. And as soon as Blizzard Beach uh, reopened, Typhoon Lagoon that went down for its annual maintenance. Uh, it went down on January 6th and then reopened in May 17th of 2019. So, okay. That's it. We've established that there is, in fact, a pattern uh, that Central Florida's water parks follow. They do close uh, you know, for months at a time for their annual maintenance and refurbishment. So, Let's talk about the news that broke just yesterday about Volcano Bay. Um, how on what is it? It's Monday, November second. It's going to close. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, for four whole months. Which mm-hmm. you you said it yourself. When it comes to Universal, they don't close Volcano Bay because they only have the one park. So if you have this opportunity to go back and forth as Disney does, sure, you mm-hmm. always have an offering. But now you're mm-hmm. looking at Volcano Bay where it's a mix of, you know, the the seasonal closure. But we're also dealing with the fact that, you know, COVID-19 is still a thing and business is business. So it's probably one or one or the other with a little bit of a combination. Well, I, I see. I, I You know, here's the thing. Um before uh, we started recording today, I, I you know went on Google and I hammered on Volcano Bay closed, Volcano Bay closing. And previously, the only times that you know Volcano Bay closed were was for cold weather. And in fact, there's uh, what is it? I found a message from November thirtieth, two thousand nineteen, that said uh, went out via Twitter. Due to cold weather, temperatures are only supposed to be in the low 60s on both days. Volcano mm-hmm. Bay Water Park will be closed on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, by the way, I want to stress this is a, a tweet from uh, November of 2019. And as far as I know, Volcano Bay will, in fact, be open for business this Monday uh, or this coming Monday. Now, mind you, it's not going to be open on Tuesday because remember, back in August, they, you know, Universal announced that as of September 8th, they were going from a seven-day-a-week schedule to a five-day-a-week schedule, with the uh, Volcano Bay being closed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know. I I know this is, quote-unquote, normal. You know, mm-hmm. you know, this is how the other water parks operate. But as you, you pointed out, it's like previously, this has not been how Universal operated. You know, that the, the months at a time closure. But again, I, I think you also provided the very easy answer here that this is COVID-19 and, you know, we're doing what we can uh, to, you know, Universal doing what they can to stay afloat during this period. You're right. When it comes to Volcano Bay being, um, you know, kind of that that area where people would go and like escape uh, the the theme parks. But the other thing that I was thinking when I was reading all of these notes and all these articles coming out about Volcano Bay, well, mm-hmm. the best 
example for people who usually go to Volcano Bay outside of locals are the ones mm-hmm. who are at Universal on a multi-day vacation. So they're mm-hmm. staying at one of the hotels. Well, mm-hmm. with the hotels closing uh, mm-hmm. for COVID-19 reasons and reopening a couple here and there and you know not having at all uh, capacity um, that we would usually be seeing in October for Halloween Horror Nights – this mm-hmm. just makes sense because they don't have that uh, guaranteed amount of guests that are going to Volcano Bay to not only have all of the, the team members employed, but also all of that merchandise and food. There's just mm-hmm. no way to staff that business. So, yeah, when this came up, it made sense. OK. Now, speaking of, of merch, uh, as we were pre-gaming, you were mentioning and you, you just brought up Halloween Horror Night that – uh, they're, they're offering quite the deal right now uh, when it comes to merch uh, for Halloween Horror Night, right? Yeah, so you can stop into uh, to Universal Islands or uh, Universal Studios Florida and pick up a a package deal. So it's a Jack T-shirt, a poster, and a shot glass. Uh, it's a forty dollar combo, and you get a free Halloween Horror Nights lanyard, which the retail value for that is combined sixty two bucks. That's hmm. not bad. Any way you can yeah. get to buy more stuff, why not? You know, Universal went out and picked up all of this merchandise for Halloween Horror Nights 30. And a lot of it was focused around, you know, icons of the past. So hmm. because of that, you're seeing a lot more of these merchandise deals pop up. Like we even saw um, old posters from uh, Halloween Horror Nights gone by and T-shirts and everything. It's all coming into the... Um, the Halloween Horror Nights um, store. So, you know, just expect the unexpected when it comes to these uh, deals. And brand new masks coming out almost weekly at this point. We now have a couple new ones from um, uh, Harry Potter. It's it's so interesting you say that because our buddy Bio Reconstruct did this very sweet thing. I went down to the post office recently and there was a box sitting there for me and inside... I want to say there are six to eight masks. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, all of the stuff that's being offered uh, this year. And in fact, you know, the, you have to understand that Nancy teaches a water aerobics class and always likes to dress up for Halloween. And so one of the ones included here that I'm assuming this may be a Jack related mask because it's a red clown nose, green clown lips and scary broken yellow and brown teeth. And I was like. You should wear that while you're teaching your Halloween class. And Nancy's like, I don't want to frighten the little old ladies. I just want them to be amused. <laughs> so there's a, a lovely one of of uh, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein monster and the classic Universal Studios logo uh, done in neon that I think Nancy – I think she, she sniped that one out of the bag. But, uh, <laughs> you know, thanks to, to BioReconstruct. Really, and, and not only that, there's a brochure in here for – uh, what is it? Uh, Scarecrow stock, which the more and more I see the pictures of those, the more and more impressed I am. Um, now, uh, speaking of Halloween horror related stuff, um, you had mentioned, and we, we talked, uh, on the last show about what is it? The fried brains and God help us. There's another product you, you mentioned something else's debut. Yeah. They, they've added to the food trucks outside of the Halloween Horror Night store mm-hmm. stolen teeth. Uh-huh. Now, when you see stolen teeth, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, 
I'm kind of unimaginative when it comes to that stuff. So, so just break it to me gently. What, 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 what are stolen teeth? It's corn. Oh. <laughs> they put corn with a, um, a, a full seasoning and everything. They put some chips, uh, some uh, uh, like nacho chips around the side, but yeah, it's it's corn. Uh, but they've also played up um, over inside the Universal Studios uh, tribute store for the Halloween Horror Nights. They do have a a strawberry stolen teeth tart. Oh, so it's it's a tart. It has a strawberry glaze on top uh-huh. because, of course, they did. And um, it's they put a layer of chocolate ganache and a, a fluffy strawberry uh, whipped cream, and the teeth are uh, almost like a, a chocolate uh, fondant. So yeah, that's uh, that's something that I wish as a Halloween fan we could see in our day to day lives. But um, <laughs> oh, I, I miss it. I I miss it. <laughs> Well, I, 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 I see. Now here's my problem. You know that I've been lucky enough, uh, you know, a couple of times when I've been down for various mm-hmm. uh, Universal press events to beat uh, with with Steve Jason, the the, the executive chef uh, for the resort. And Steve, you know, puts a lot of, of effort and a lot of artistry and and you know into the the food items that are you know prepared for special events and for new lands in the parks and that sort of thing. I mean. You know, just the stories you used to tell about, you know, uh, trying to put together the menu for like, uh, you know, uh, baking an authentic crusty burger or for that matter, the food and, uh, you know, uh, you know, for uh, Hogsmeade and, you know, three broomsticks or, or uh, the leaky cauldron. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just I'm sorry, uh, you know, they, they test these things months and months ahead of time. So I just it, it's hard to me to envision somebody going into work in February you know, you know, interesting going into the conference room and hey, we're doing the testing today on the the stolen teeth. Can you come by and you know, you know tell us which one is the truly horrifying setup and which one tastes good? And it's just sort of like, I don't know, you know, just when you're 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 going through the stores and the Valentine's candy is still up, and then you you come into work and it's like, well, which of the fried brains do you think is so? Speaking of food, though, you did have an update about uh, a, a, a another. Uh, denizen of, of you know, uh, Iowa's adventure. Yeah, our buddy BioReconstruct over on Twitter found a photo of uh, the Osprey enjoying a light meal. I'm assuming that he used um, mobile ordering. Ah. But uh, they found that the Osprey was on top of uh, his favorite perch mm-hmm. on the Velocicoaster um, eating a fish. Uh, uh. I okay, you know. Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad it was a fish because I don't know if you've seen the giant soft shelled turtles that also lurk in that lagoon. And uh, yeah, that would be, that'd be tough to haul up that high. Um, speaking of the Velocicoaster, um, I, I, and as long as again we're we're doing a festival of paying tribute to people who break stories down in uh, Florida. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Alicia Stella who. I think bagged uh, it. You know, again, it, it, eagle eye. Now, never mind about Osprey. This woman has an eagle eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she went over to uh, the official Universal Orlando website on Friday, September twenty fifth, and just was paging through it and 
and notice something unusual. And I, you know, the, the, to be specific, the, the unusual piece of information was listed in the Jurassic Park section of, again, the Island Adventure uh, theme park information page. And, and this is what Alicia saw. All right, so this is how it reads. Step in Jurassic Park and stand in awe and wonder at a land transformed by science after 65 million years. But don't be deceived by the island's beauty because danger lurks behind every corner. Only here can you live the adventure of coming face to face with giant creatures from Earth's past, encounter raptors roaming every day, or take a daring rafting expedition through jungles teeming with dinosaurs. For those brave enough to visit the raptor paddock, you may even be able to carefully approach one of these deadly predators. Then feel the rush of the hunt as you race through the jungle alongside raptors on the Jurassic World Velocicoaster, a new species of roller coaster coming September 2021. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so Alicia, God love her, uh, did an image capture. Yeah. And thank goodness that she did, because by six o'clock that night, just a half hour later, this particular sentence has been clipped out of the description. So, uh, and so, but again, given the way Universal operates, one has to ask, did they deliberately put it in there for a short period to create news? Oh, it's the churro stand thing. Like uh, how Universal wants you to find something, but doesn't want to tell you exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I know that feeling mm-hmm. all too well. I think we've all been suckered in by that at mm-hmm. one point in time. Yeah, but again, I just, I, I, I Still not convinced it wasn't deliberate. Now, again, remember that, that they list, that we finally also have a, a confirmed opening. We have a, a summer of 2021. And interestingly enough, um, you know, that, that Universal just put out a new ticket offer mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it, 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 in fact, you're planning on visiting uh, the park uh, this fall or this winter. Uh, you can then return. I, I want to say it's a, it's a, what is it? A get three days free when you buy two days, right? Yep, and that's for U.S. visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, because up to this point, it's been talking about the uh, the Florida residents. So mm-hmm. this is for all U.S. visitors. You can buy it, uh, and it looks like the tickets um, can be used through next summer with no blockout dates. Yeah, in fact, the tickets can be used through August 31st, 2021, which again means you're you can, in theory, if, if they make their opening, uh, get on the Velocicoaster. Uh, you mentioned the Florida uh, a ticket offer, which, uh, by the way, has been extended. Uh, a ticket can now be purchased through the 3rd of November. Uh, but same drill, that, that uh, this allows you, if you buy a day, uh, a Florida resident can then get unlimited visits right up until December 24th, right? Yep, yep. And then uh, they also added that Florida residents have the option of saving up to $100 on select passes uh, to enjoy uh, their annual pass, basically, at this point. So annual and seasonal passes are loaded with benefits and perks, like discounts and special offers. And there's a lot of stuff Universal are doing for their annual pass holders. So you have to pick up your um, passes now through uh, December 17th. And there are blackout dates for mm-hmm. certain passes. Just check online. Make sure you're getting the right pass for uh, your uh, for your family and for what you're thinking about doing. But you know you can't go wrong with saving a little bit of money on an annual pass. 
Mm-hmm. And you, you were just talking about Florida residents. What do you make of this news uh, that broke just early this week about uh, Universal Orlando announcing that they are, have begun a nationwide search for a developer to create uh, a new affordable housing community in Orange County? Yeah, this completely came out of the blue. Uh, usually when you get a press release from Universal, it's talking about an experience, mm-hmm. an attraction, something new that's going on within the theme parks or the business. Mm-hmm. And you you kind of know what to expect. Where with this one, it completely shocked all of us because they were talking about a proposal to create affordable housing and as someone who is a huge fan of anything that brings community together and you know doing something for for the greater good this was completely out of left field and it was great no i agree i agree that 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 uh just to give you a reduced digest version of folks it's 20 acre side uh the idea is that they would like to build a thousand high quality apartments uh, which would be located off of International Drive. And uh, Universal uh, is donating the land uh, for this project uh, with the idea that it's a, it's a not-for-profit entity and that it will be used to create affordable housing into perpetuity. And, you know, I did, and if all goes according to the plan, they will break ground on this in 2022. Um, and you know, just for me, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, here's the company, you know, here's NBC universal Comcast doing something to, to engender goodwill on the East coast. Uh, what's kind of interesting though, there were a number of people who linked this to that $125 million deal, uh, that, that universal made with orange County last year for a road that would, you know, get people directly to um you know the the epic universe site hmm that's that's interesting yeah um i i i i i don't know if i'm i'm smart enough to actually connect the dots there myself but uh but yeah i did this you know i have to admit especially in florida especially now uh, you know, the notion that, you know, somebody is trying to create affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good thing. I, you know, but, but at the same time, what's fascinating is, again, company engendering goodwill on the East Coast. On the other hand, uh, I don't know if you saw the story that broke uh, on Friday in, in regard to uh, Disney and, and Universal Studios Hollywood asking Governor Newsom of California not to lock in his theme park reopening plans just yet uh because oh was, california <laughs> oh, it looks like uh looks like we're getting ready to go to war here that um that i and this is the thing i think overall governor newsom has done a good job in regard to california and yes covid you know you know i mean this poor guy between his you know this the covid in the spring and then the fires in the, the summer and the fall, and now to have COVID rearing its its ugly head again. Um, but you know, uh, geez, so between Iger stepping away from his economic uh, development council, uh, supposedly because of of the governor's attitude toward the theme parks in California, mm-hmm. uh, and now the whispers now that that both Disney and Universal are going to sick their lawyers on the state because it's just sort of like. They feel like he's he's not moving fast enough. Yeah. You know that that they, they're being punished. 
and you know, on the other hand, if you 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 talk with Newsom staff, their argument is like, look, I know that Disney has been able to open theme parks in Florida, likewise Universal, but you know, those are you know these entities where it's easy to social distance, mm-hmm. where you know, the if you look at Universal Studios in, in Hollywood and likewise Disneyland or Disney's California Adventure, these are theme parks, resorts built in urban environments that are very tight. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's just sort of like, you know, especially <laughs> at this moment where, you know, supposedly the most protected man on the planet just got COVID-19. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to argue that, you know, all the precautions are in place. We're fine. We're safe. Let us open. Um, but geez, um, it's, it's just get ready, folks. This could turn into a horror show. And speaking of horror shows, uh, when Dustin and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about, uh, the universal classic monsters. And we're back. So Dustin, how familiar are you with, with the universal classic monsters? Well, one of the nice things about the universal classic monsters is that they, span generations decades mm-hmm. uh we're not just talking about a single monster there's so much that goes into it and one of the fun facts about me is that i used to run a blockbuster back in the day mm-hmm. so and blockbuster kids is where you would go to a movie store and you would go through the shelves and figure out what you wanted to watch that night you'd have to vhs and all that other stuff but mm-hmm. During some of the the weeks where we didn't really have a lot of new releases to come out, I would be able to go in through uh, the back catalog and, you know, watch some of these older movies. And I got to be honest, a lot of them, I couldn't make it all the way through. And it's not, you know, saying that the movies themselves were bad. It was just one of those things that Mm -hmm. the, the storytelling aspect had changed so much in the 80 or 90 years since that it was just difficult to get through them. Um, I always tried, but it was always a, a difficult thing. Well, you know, it, it, look, you're not wrong. I, I, but just last night, uh, Nancy and I were sitting here and we're flipping around the, the tube and we, we arrive on Turner classic movies and they are showing the original, uh, from 1931, uh, mm-hmm. Dracula. Okay. And, and it's one of these things where I, I really don't know these films as well as I should. In fact, you, you mentioned Epic Universe, which is supposed to have its own classic Universal Monsters land. And I feel like I should I should watch it. I should, you know, I, I should refresh my memory of these characters. Because remember, you know, that if, if the blueprints that have leaked out are true, one of the central, uh, you know, uh, attractions of this thing is going to be Dracula's castle. So I'm sitting mm-hmm. there and Nate said I watched this for about a half hour before we turn to each other and go, this is terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you know, Bella Lugosi, I mean, I get that the visual, everyone, oh my God, you know, that, that, and, but, it, you know, it's just, it's such a strange acting style. And it's so, and in fact, what's kind of interesting is, uh, I want to say it's the actor's name, Edward Sloan. Uh, the the gentleman who uh, played Dr. Van Helsing, it turns out that both Bella Lugosi and uh, Mr. Sloan both had been in the Broadway show, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 that had debuted in New York in, in 1927. Uh, and so, you know, they had very theatrical performances that maybe 
Somebody should come on, write it in. Um, but, <laughs> but here's the, the genuinely interesting part about Dracula that, that I, you know, I will, you know, I didn't necessarily enjoy as much of the movie as I saw last night. In fact, uh, I, I, you know, used our DVR to start recording it, and it's like, okay, let's find something that's actually entertaining to watch. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to learn more today, so I was pulling out some books, and I found a Dustin today. Or, or this week, um, it's 90 years uh, from from when they started shooting uh, Dracula on the Universal lot out in Hollywood. In fact, the production started Monday, September 29th, 1930. Um, and you know, for a lot of folks, they, they argue that uh, you know Dracula was the uh, you know the film that actually launched the Universal Classic uh, Monsters franchise. Now, mind you, there are other folks who would argue, look, uh, let's be honest, uh, it's not that film. It's actually Hunchback of Notre Dame, which, which Universal mm-hmm. released in September of 23. Uh, that movie cost the studio $125 million to make back then. Uh, excuse me, uh, $1.25 million. <laughs> I was like, that that's a, a decent number. Sorry, yeah, sorry. 1.25. 1. 1. 1. 2, 1. Not Sorry. <laughs> Move the decimal point, folks. Sorry. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, is nearly $33 million in 2020 dollars. Wow. Uh, use the inflation calculator there. Uh, but Hunchback went on to sell three uh, $3.5 million worth of tickets worldwide. Again, uh, adjusting for inflation, that's $92 million today, an astronomical sum back then, especially when you consider that you know, back in a movie cost 15 cents. Um, so anyway, uh, Hunchback, huge hit for Universal, which is why right after that, uh, they decide, ooh, we got to get another one of those. So two years later, uh, you know, they're releasing. Uh, it's another elaborate period piece. It's another film that stars Lon Chaney. It's also set in Paris, uh, but this one is Phantom of the Opera and goes out into theaters November of '25. Uh, not quite as successful as Hunchback. It costs the studio a million to make and goes on to sell two million worth of tickets worldwide. Um, but again, this is a time when Hollywood is changing just a, a, you know, a, a year or so up the line. Uh, it's, you know, the jazz singer comes out in October of 27 and, you know, sound comes in and now everybody in the industry is like, okay, is that the future or is this a fad? Uh, and while they're trying to figure that out, boom, here comes the, the stock crash of October of 29. And suddenly people don't have 15 cents to spare to go to the movies. They, they need to spend it on things, you know, frivolous things like food and shelter. Um, so, you know, this is a, a really strange period because, you know, Hollywood kind of panics as well. How do we get people back into theaters? And mm-hmm. Carl Lemley Jr., who is the son of Universal Pictures founder Carl Lemley, um, he was actually the, the head of production at Universal from 1928 to 1936. Um, Carl goes to his dad and he says, look, I have an idea. All right. The way right now, you know, it's, it's tough to get people back into theaters. What we need to do is another cinematic spectacle. We need to do a film that's on the same sort of scale of Hunchback and Phantom, but, but something has a little horror to it, um, which is why this is the winter, early spring of 1930. Lemley Jr. goes to his dad and says, we should buy the film rights to Dracula. 
And, uh, you know, the way the reason that, that, that Carl is pitching this to his uh, Carl Jr. is pitching this to his dad is that he'd seen the stage version of Bram Stoker's novel uh, during its eight month long run at Broadway's Fulton Theater back in the fall of 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he saw how, you know, women in the audience would swoon whenever Bella Lugosi would, you know, use his, the character's supposedly supernatural powers to seduce and control female members of the cast. And uh, also, yeah, we talked about uh, Edward Van Sloan, the guy who played uh, Van Helsing, and that mm-hmm. you know, Lemily especially enjoyed the moments in, in this play where the, these two characters you know, were the, the, the professor matches wits with Lugosi's cent- centuries-old vampire. Um, so... Just to be clear here, Lemley Jr. wasn't pushing his dad to acquire the film rights to Bram Stoker's novel because he wanted to make a movie with Bela Lugosi and Edward Van Sloan, but rather because he was looking for a way to lure Lon Chaney back to Universal Pictures. Um, you see, on the heels of the success of Phantom of the Opera back in 1925, Chaney had been hired away by MGM, um, and for the past five years, uh, he was under exclusive contract for uh, for that studio. Um, but Cheney's five-year deal was due to expire in 1930. And Lemley thought that if he had the right project to dangle in front of Lawn at the right time, Cheney could mm-hmm. then be persuaded to return to Universal, uh, where he could then reunite with the team that had helped him create his, his earlier masterpieces, uh, 1923's Hunchback or, or 1925's Phantom. Um, but where this gets interesting, especially when you think about what the classic uh, Universal monsters mean to the company today, when mm-hmm. Lemon Lee brings his Dracula idea to his dad in early 1930, Lemon Lee Sr. first says no. Um, and there's a great book by David Skull called Hollywood Garthic, which actually it does a brilliant job of tracking uh, Dracula's uh, you know, moving from a novel to a stage piece to the screen. Uh, but Skull actually quotes Lamely Sr. saying he d- he didn't believe in horror films. People don't want that sort of thing. It, it's morbid. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I would imagine the people who run Halloween Horror Night would have a, a very different thing to say about that. Or Netflix. Like, look at some of the things that people like the, the fact that some of the, the most popular podcasts right now are murder mysteries. Like there, there's a lot of folks out here. Now, I did have a quick question with regards to the five-year deals that they were the Cheney signed with MGM. So it wasn't a five-picture deal. No, it no. was we have you under contract for five years. Mm-hmm. However many projects we can get out the door in that five-year process, that's what we have. Yeah, I mean, it was you know it was it, and it's interesting because yes, the Hollywood would eventually translate to a per project contract footing but in this case it was the effect of we have you for a set period of time i you know uh i want to say you know this is kind of the same thing that happened with buster keaton mm-hmm. you know he went from being you know a guy who ran his own studio to going under contract to mgm and then you know he would be producing three and four movies a year for mgm and it, it was you know, much the same way with uh with cheney and um well, and the but the other thing, frankly, that helped with uh, when it came to Lemley Jr. pitching his dad, uh, of, you know, about we need to get Ch- Cheney back here was that 
Well, remember, we talked about how sound came in in October of 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so, and face it, this is you know, the end of the stock market crashes. And people, you know, that, that get nervous. And, and the whole ner- notion is, how can we make movies without making movies? <laughs> you know, and so they turn to their, the Universal turns to its own film catalog. And they, they look at Phantom of the Opera. And it's one of these things where it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, could we turn that into a sound film? And, and it, it really, you know, in, in a weird sort of way, this is Star Wars, the special edition, <laughs> you know, but only, you know, that literally 70 years earlier. Yeah. Uh, what they do is they, they call back to the studio, uh, Mary Philbin and Norman Carey. These are the, the very same actors who played the romantic leads of the silent version of Phantom of the Opera from 1925. They bring them back. To, uh, to the studio in 1929 to reshoot every one of their scenes in the movie, but with sound. And then what they do is they edit these new sounds, you know, uh, you know, scenes into the old print of Phantom of the Opera. They re-release it uh, with a new synchronized musical soundtrack and, and, it, and effects laid in. And, you know, it goes out into theaters February of 1930, you know, under the Universal banner. It's a smash hit all over again mm-hmm. it, it, it sells another million dollars worth of tickets and so you know this is you know so here's carl emily jr going to his dad it's like look you know um you know, it, it's we, we we should do this we should get lon back here we should have him do dracula and then what he really wanted to do was uh in fact he was so passionate about this idea he turned around and went to uh, Gaston Leroux estate. He was the author of the 1910 novel that Phantom of the Opera was based on mm-hmm. and secured the rights to do a sequel. Oh, wow. So the idea was that Dracula, you know, uh, Dracula with Lon Chaney would come out as, you know, to announce that, you know, Lon Chaney is back at Universal. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they do a sequel to his biggest hit, uh, only this time it's going to be in sound. And this time it's going to feature scenes that are shot in color, which as strange as that sounds uh, as far back as 1929, Paramount and Warner brothers were, were releasing movies with a three color process, um, or should be a two color process. It was only, you know, when Walt Disney actually embraced the three color technical process, things really took off uh, with that format. But again, Phantom of the Opera sequel is going to be followed, uh, by, uh, you know, uh, it's going to follow a Lon Chaney version of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all, you know, and dad's like, okay, fine, go. All right. So, uh, you know, he has to first secure the, the rights to Bram, Bram Stoker's novel, which he does in June of, of 1930. And then mm-hmm. he has to put together a plan to woo Lon back. So step one is to obviously put together a killer script, uh, you know, for the, the, this movie version of, of Dracula. So midsummer of 1930, uh, uh, Carl Lemley Jr. hires Louis Bromfield uh, to work up a treatment for this. And again, it's going to be a prestige film, so it's a million-dollar budget. Um, mm-hmm. And so Bromfield teams with screenwriter Dudley Murphy, and then they come up with a killer gimmick for the movie version of Dracula, one that Lon Chaney just wouldn't be able to resist. And the gimmick is that Bromfield and Murphy wanted Chaney to play two roles 
in this proposed universal production. They, they wanted him to play the title role of the movie, as well as Dracula's arch nemesis, uh, Professor Van Helsing. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it, it literally, you know, it, it's the very first picture that Lon Chaney comes back to Universal. You get twice as much Lon Chaney because he's playing you know, two lead roles. In this. Yeah. All right. So here's the problem. Chaney's contract with MGM isn't officially up yet. So Lon really isn't, can't legally talk with, with Carl Jr. But evidently, there were several discreet back-channel conversations, and Chaney was supposedly very tempted by the idea of returning to Universal, you know, a place where he had two of his biggest hits, and then getting the chance to play Dracula and Professor Van Helsing. But then the unthinkable happens. August 26, 1930, Lon Chaney dies of a throat hemorrhage. Um, he, and, 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 you know, the, the, what's so weird about this story, uh, Dustin, is it's kind of Chadwick Boseman only, again, 90 years ago. Yeah, he was only 47 years old. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought at this point in time? Like, imagine someone who was in their prime mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, overnight, is gone and you're completely right it's it's the whole uh black panther uh thing where they're talking about this is what's going on they're they're spending money they're getting everyone excited and then all of a sudden overnight well no one really knew what was going on with the diagnosed you know cancers and such which is well you know and that's again the parallels are uncanny because it's like evidently uh Lon had found out in 1929 that he had bronchial lung cancer and had deliberately kept the news uh, quiet because, again, it's kind of the Chadwick thing. It's like was hoping that with an aggressive treatment and surgery, he might beat this back. Um, so here so here we are. You know, remember how we started out the story this week, 90 years ago, October 29th, 1930, production of Dracula gets underway. And, and, and yet at the same time. We have Lon Chaney, the proposed star of this film, tragically passing away five weeks before production is actually supposed to get underway. So how is it we get from Lon Chaney to Bela Lugosi so quickly? We'll talk about that on the next Universal. Uh, now, speaking of things we love, are, okay, what, what are we up to in the social media podcasting sphere other than uh, the Universal po- uh, Joint Podcast? Us? Honestly, it's it's a lot of uh, trying to figure out what else to talk about um, mm-hmm. instead of theme parks because it's just such a, a weird time. Uh, mm-hmm. So Jill and I have actually put together a new project called Wi-Fi Adventures. And the idea is we're talking about not just our our home uh, in Toronto with a lot of, you know, touristy and, you know, dining and that kind of thing, but also thinking about outside the box when we go on our travels to New York and to other places in Canada and down to Florida, what are our own personal experiences? So we we put that up. Um, It's been fun to kind of get the, the responses of folks who are doing more staycations. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, outside of this, uh, the Universal Joint, it's really quiet. Uh, just a lot of seeing what people are doing at Halloween Horn, or sorry, the haunted uh, houses, which mm-hmm. we we didn't really talk about it this uh, during the show, but they're back up and running. So we we kind of left a little bit of a cliffhanger on our last show, but it looks like the haunted houses are sticking around. They're doing them daily. 
And uh, if you are interested in getting back into that Halloween uh, mentality, just head over to Universal Studios Florida. Um, obviously, check online first, see what the, the day is looking like. But yeah, Halloween is still over there in full force. Now, but that said, and when we were pre-gaming today, you were mentioning mm-hmm. that where were you, you had just gone to a Michael's, right? Yeah, it was really weird. So we went into a Michael's because it's always fun to, you know, be around Halloween stuff, even though it's 2020. And um, walked in and all of their Halloween and fall stuff was all 40% off. Uh, they also had some buy one, get one free, which was very shocking for us because you look at Halloween, you know, we're still a few weeks away. And by the 1st of October, everything's on discount or clearance. So that was very uh, eye opening. Honestly, you go to some of the, the shops where you pick up candy and it's all on sale, which you usually don't see in regular years. So knowing that it is not a regular year there's a lot of other things that are coming up and i did want to mention this um towards the end of the show we know that there's a lot of hardships going on by way of cast members and team members losing their job uh 28,000s over at, at disney along with you know team members not being able to come back from a furlough it's just a, a difficult time for a lot of folks so What I wanted to do is just let people know if you are one of those folks who lost your job out of no, you know, fault of your own. This isn't your fault. We all didn't come up with COVID. It it happens. Um, Please reach out if you need help with resume or thinking outside the box on, uh, you know, what you should do now that. You know, potentially we we won't have the theme parks in the same level for at least the next couple of years. Who knows? Please reach out. Send us an email. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter. We're more than happy to, you know, help out as much as we can. Uh, And if that's as simple as just being a soundboard we're always available. So yeah, just give us a shout. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what the rest of the year has in store. First would be to offer. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange time. I got no doubt. I mean, you know, that's, you know, Lynn and I, uh, on our most recent Disney dish touched on the, um, you know, the, the, the 28,000, uh, Disney cast members that were, you know, again, and this isn't just the parks. It's also Imagineering. It's also the cruise line. Um, you know, it's a, a lot of different arms of the company and, you know, I'm sure this will be an ongoing story as everybody, you know, you know, that's the thing, you know, especially headed into the fall, yeah. uh, you know, where, you know, for example, I don't know, you've seen the national commercial that Disney is doing right now where it is all about the holidays. I mean, it is all about, you know, Hey, come on down here for the, to see the Christmas stuff, please. I'm begging you. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on top of that here. We'll, uh, you know, or we'll keep on top of the universal aspect of that here. We'll keep on top of that, uh, you know, the Disney aspect over a Disney dish. Uh, but again, same thing, you know, with, uh, with Drew and I, with our, our, our fine tuning podcast, you know, we've been keeping tabs on, on, you know, all of the work that's being done, uh, on, you know, Disney television shows and mm-hmm. feature films, you know, from people who are, know again you know doing all of this from home you know you know just the notion of trying to do producing a full-length animated film is is tough enough 
without having to do it from your living room. <laughs> you know, uh, and have you seen some of the behind the scenes uh, things on a, a, a separate topic, but the um, the South Park? Uh, when they brought out their um, pandemic special mm-hmm. and seeing just the amount of equipment mm-hmm. that the production team had to send out to their individual artists and how they had to upgrade all of the internet from megabytes up to, you know, 100 gigabyte uh, download speeds and everything. And it's just there are things like that that are going on that we want to recognize with Disney and Universal. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's getting really interesting. I, I'm. I know it's tough to talk about like what will happen on the other side mm-hmm. when everything gets back to somewhat of a normal thing. But for the time being, it's very interesting seeing how some of these productions are making things work. Oh, absolutely. And at the same time, if you look at something like, you know, as uh, Aaron Adams, the, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts, who, um, you know, what we'll be talking about on, on Marvelous Disney if you look at Marvel, Marvel, every time you turn around, is announcing some sort of new limited series. I mean, we've got casting news on Ms. Marvel. Yeah. Uh, we got, you know, uh, you know, not, not only uh, casting on um, She-Hulk, but also uh, the showrunner, you know, prospective directors. Uh, we've got news about that Samuel L. Jackson, you know, project that's in the world. I mean, it's just Marvel is just sort of like, yeah, yeah, pandemic, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, on the Lucasfilm side, you know, just, uh, you know, in fact, uh, uh, Dan Z and I were just talking about, um, you know, the, the, you know, in fact, again, amazing COVID story. You had Tony Gilroy, the, the gentleman who came in, and did the rescue mission on the original Rogue One, a uh, Star Wars story, and how he was actually working on the spinoff series, and they were getting ready to shoot in um, in London. And it was just one of these things where Tony, who lives in New York, was staring down the barrel of, okay, so if I leave here, I have to go to the UK, quarantine for two weeks. You know, we work on the show. Then I want to come back and visit my family for the holidays. So that means I fly back and I got to quarantine here for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then after the holidays, I got to you know get on a plane, fly back to the UK, quarantine again. And it's just sort of like six weeks out of you know the the six eight months that he was going to be over the UK working on this thing. And it's just sort of like it's not worth it. I, you know, I just it, the weird thing is he's still the showrunner. He's still an executive producer. He, he's just not going to direct physical episodes. He's going to be doing all of this work from his home in New York. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just it's this is the world we live in now with COVID-19 and that everybody is just doing the best they can yeah. Uh, under these circumstances with the hope that this won't be the way it is forever. Well, and look at someone like LeBron James. He's been in the NBA mm-hmm. bubble for months now, it seems like. Uh, but yet, and that's in Orlando, but knowing that his production company, Spring Hill mm-hmm. Company, actually just entered into a four-year first-look film deal with mm-hmm. Universal... So there's a lot of things that are going on outside of the world that people are just realizing, hey, if we're in a bubble or if we're dealing with quarantine, you can still make projects. Mm -hmm. You just have to learn to think outside the box and realize that, you know, 
we we all have resources that we should be looking mm-hmm. towards and something like the universal joint podcast is a great vehicle to talk about not just the parks but the movies but we're we're also thinking okay what's going to happen when this is all done velocicoaster summer of next year awesome is the Velocicoaster going to be the same level of Hagrid's? That's going to be a great conversation that we'll be able to talk about as, you know, the months go on because we saw what Hagrid's is looking like. So there's a lot that we get to talk about on the show. And obviously with your other, you know, 17 uh, shows going on, I heard rumors still that there's a, a Broadway show la, coming la, from la, you. La, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. La, la, la. Okay. Two quick things before we go. Uh, you know, we always talk about Easter eggs, you know, hidden in attractions. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm pretty sure this is Alicia who found these, but did it, it supposedly in the rock work for, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Velocicoaster, you can see Raptor eggs. So, uh, which yes. I thought was a cool touch. And, um, again, I know there were a lot of Disney fans who complained about the NBA bubble. Um, and, but I do want to say something in in their defense right now because it's the interesting thing is that when disney announced um you know the the 28,000 uh you know cast member layoff there were in fact i want to say several coaches and several players who actually reached out to cast members that they knew because they took such good care of them yes while they were in the nba bubble and it's like to the effect of I am so sorry to hear this. Is there anything we can do? Can we help your family? Would you like a job? You know, that, that can you get me your resume? Yeah. And, you know, so again, there, there are people out there who are behaving decently. So just, just be aware of that folks. So, um, all right. So Dustin, if I'm looking for you on social media, where do I find you? Yeah. I'm at steps to magic, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that other stuff. I'm also, um, at Wi-Fi Adventures, uh, which is the new project. And obviously, I'm just, you know, anytime anyone wants to talk Universal, just head on Instagram, send me a DM. We'll talk Universal. It's good times. Okay. And Nancy would like me to remind you that um, if you could do us a favor, head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show, Universal Joint. That would be incredibly helpful. If you really, really, really like what you heard here today, if you get out with a band can't and subscribe, uh, again, that would be great. Uh, also, our social media stuff, Nancy wants to remind me to remind you that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And now eh, I got to go make dinner here. So I'm going to hop online and see if I can find a recipe for stolen teeth. Is that what they're called? Yeah, just just get something strawberry and a little chocolate ganache, and you'll be good. Yeah, that, that's again, good boy. That's a perfect recipe for a diabetic. Okay, thank you, folks. We'll we'll be back soon.